All right, y'all. We back. This is never out of bounds, and you know I'm your host, El Jamal. Um, we got a few things to discuss today. Um, we're gonna get into some world on the street. We're gonna talk about Roseanne bitch ass. Yes, I said it. Roseanne's bitch ass. We're also gonna get into uh, some health news today. Some uh, some scientific studies that might blow your mind. I I would I don't agree with them. By the way, but. You know, that's that's what they made and they put out there. Um, we also going to get into some sports. We're going to get into, you know, a little bit more, uh, so just a little aftermath of the, the Rockets, Warriors, Rockets a little bit. Um, and we're also going to get into some uh, NBA trade possibilities. And we're going to talk some, oh, you know what, let's just talk a little bit about the offseason too. Just to just to get everything out there, just to put my thoughts out there about it, and uh, free agents is that, and that's free agents included as well. And we're gonna also talk about the NHL. We're gonna talk about the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, the new kids on the block. You know, the Vegas Golden Knights looking pretty strong out there. Um, I <laughs> hockey. I'll explain why, but you guys got another black fan. <clears throat> Yes, sirree. But what I saw last night, it's a pretty damn good game. And you know what? Tonight, we're going to wrap it all up. You know what? I'm just going to do my first ever movie review. I was also going to say this for the blog, but since this is, this is a, I'm putting a lot, a lot more time in, into the podcast for now. At the moment, I'll just do it here tonight. I already, you know, everything's prepared. I'll just present that to y'all tonight too. So we're going to have a busy show. Um, pretty in depth, I would say, but rewarding. So please stay tuned. All right. So we're on the street. Is Roseanne is canceled. Now this comes after some quite offensive tweets she were uh, released earlier this morning, referring to a former advisor to President Obama by the name of Valerie Jarrett. She basically goes on to describe Miss Jared as a cross between the Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes. Now, this is offensive on so many levels. Now, she claims this was just a comedic joke. Okay, well, this was done as a joke. Oh, bad joke. Yeah, it's a terribly bad joke. It's an outdated joke. And it just shows how far conservative America, conservative white America, hasn't come along with the times. They just don't understand that we don't want to be referred to like that anymore. It's not funny. It's not. It doesn't make for good comedy. I, I'm. I'm. I haven't. I haven't really seen any. I haven't seen any black comedians. Uh, Chris Tucker. I haven't seen Eddie Griffin go on stage and start making fun of white people for shooting up schools. We're going to compare us to animals? Is that what we still doing? Apes? Get with the times, lady. Like, this is not, this is not, st- it's not about taking away your, your, your first amendment rights. Oh, I have freedom of speech. Freedom to disrespect people? Just because you have freedom of your speech doesn't mean you get to just disrespect people. And if you do, you have to deal with what comes with that whether that be you getting fired or somebody knocking you the fuck out I think you should deal with that since you want to have your freedom of speech right because you want to be free to disrespect somebody you want to be free to to call people monkeys or call people out of their name 
think it's, I think it's, I think it was malignant. I think it was, you know, it's downright false. Uh, Lisa, with her connections, her, at least in terms of, especially in terms of Ms. Uh, Jared's connection with the Muslim Brotherhood, that that was false. See, and the funny thing about these people is, is that they preach, you know, the right, the right wing conservatives. They love to preach being on the moral high ground. They love to preach being morally right and doing the right thing. And somehow, you know, Democrats and liberals are loose and, you know, whatever. Yet, she lied about the woman. Not only did she lie about her, she also, this is the same woman, Roseanne Barr, that also put out there on Twitter that uh, Chelsea Clinton, another liberal, of course, because this is a liberal conservative beef. She goes out there and says, oh, well, she's married to the nephew of George Soros. Flat out lie. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. In, 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 in the words of Hank Hill, I'll tell you what. There, the, it, That's a sin. Bearing false witness, basically lying on somebody, that's a sin. Miss White Wing, Miss Moral, Miss All Liberals Ain't Shit. You, you're, you're sinning. By by doing that, you're you're actually sinning. Ain't that about a bitch? You are. Is it? Do you like that? No, you don't like that. I bet you feel that that's disrespectful, don't you? It's okay to call black people apes. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. And what makes this even more sick, you know, is. Just some of her quotes. Now, uh, back when the show was first, you know, set to re-air, um, she was doing an interview for Good Morning America. And, you know, she was talking about her support for Trump. And uh, basically, she wanted to lead into more civilized convo. Now, peep these two quotes right here. That's what we need to do as a country is figure out what we don't like, talk to each other. And discuss how we're going to get it changed or fixed. That's her quote. She said that. Now, this is the other part of her quote. Now, I'm all into wordplay. And I'm and I'm going to read between the lines for you all a little bit here. But she goes, I really hope that opens up civil convo instead of just mudslinging. Now... No matter how you say it, I'm going to repeat it again. I really hope that opens up civil convo instead of just mudslinging. Now, how I interpret it is you're not above mudslinging. But when it, com when it comes to matters concerning you, you want a, 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 a quaint, delicate conversation. Or let's say, for instance, how about this? How about this? When when it when it's a when it's a issue that has you riled up, like the flag or nationalism or crime or illegal immigration, you want to you you want to you want to throw out all your little insults. You want to be mean and and bad and and vulgar and downright distasteful. But when it comes to matters, oh, uh, black folks are getting shot up by the police. Well. Well, well, let's have a, a quiet discussion. Really, you don't want to talk about it at all. That's what you're saying. So don't let them lead you down into that bullshit. 
Now, Wanda Sykes, she was a, also a comedian. I think you guys know her. She's a well-known actress as well. She was a consulting producer for the show. She also had to step down. And uh, Sarah Gilbert, another one of the stars on the show, also took to Twitter to, to talk about her, uh, talk about Roseanne, too. And this is really, uh, you know, it's a set or well, what's going on in the world and well, specifically in race relations in this country. At least we know, you know, kind of where we stand with some of these people. I mean, they're letting it be known. Um, but it's just unfortunate that we're still to that point where we're disrespecting each other like that. I thought we'd be on a more equal accord in terms of race relations, but I still see much hasn't changed. We're still monkeys to these people. How can we, how can we expect to, you know, progress in society when we're still viewed as monkeys or basically runaway slaves who never learned to obey them? So, uh, with that being said, I'm glad her show got cut off. And I think I hope this is a message to other old racist white folks or just racist white folks in general that we don't want that shit no more and we don't have to take it. So moving on from that, we're going to get into some health news. Uh, scientists, according to the uh, Journal of the American College of Cardiovascular, I'm sorry, of cardiology, excuse me, uh, published some findings that they date back to 2012 that basically confirm, according to them, that uh, vitamin supplements and mineral supp supplements don't necessarily help in terms of uh, improving the risk of cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, strokes, and just uh, improving life in general or mortality rate. Um, they studied vitamin D, calcium, and uh, also vitamin C. And basically, like I said, no real effects is that's what they're saying. However, a 1993 study proved that vitamin E can help lower the risk of coronary heart disease. They also tested vitamins A, B1, B2, B3, B6, and B9, as well as iron, zinc, magnesium, and selenium. And basically, what they're claiming, uh, you know, these 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 minerals and these vitamins can all be found in a healthy diet so they're pushing more of a diet as opposed to the mineral supplements now i'm against that um i've been a lifelong user of various vitamin supplements whether it be calcium whether it be vitamin c uh definitely the b complex and i'll say it works for me um, there's various cases in which diet specifically, if you are, let's say vegan or vegetarian, this is what they didn't tell you that you are, that you do miss certain vitamins and nutrients that you get specifically from eating foods, including meat. So having a dietary supplement that has the mineral in it actually is, is helpful. Now I'm not now of course with a proper diet. Now none of this makes none of none of that's gonna work if you don't have the proper diet or you're not getting enough exercise. That's anybody knows that. But as far as I'm concerned, they helped me, especially the B vitamins. Uh very, very potent in terms of providing energy, so on and so forth. So I don't really buy it. I think it's a way to push basically like I said, like I said, they, they push the basically the, the diet. So whatever food they're selling in the mass markets um, that don't necessarily have these ingredients, that's what they're not telling you. 
Um, and I would prefer, I would prefer, you know, if you're not getting them, you should, you should find other means in, in which to get them. Now, now don't get me wrong, a balanced diet will get you that, but in this, in there's everybody's situation is different. There's affordability, there's just circumstance. And I think in terms of that, when you look into that bigger picture, vitamin supplements, actually, I think they are beneficial. I'm not saying they replace uh, a good diet. But I say if you are lacking in something, I say that they do provide a lot of help with that. And again, I think that there's no real medicine that they can, can come out with that, you know, can't keep, there's no medicine or anything that they come out with that can help you out without giving you another problem, giving you another ailment within your body. Um, they also weren't able to prove that none of these things do anything negative to your body. So why not add the extra benefit of that? And from a direct source, I think it behooves. I think it. I think what it does is, I think it puts them at a advantage, at disadvantage because there's a lot of smaller spots that can sell those type of uh, supplements at a probably a fair discounted price. And that and that market they can't really compete in. So I, I think they want to wrap that up so you can get, like I said, buy into the mass market food and buy into their medicine. I don't buy it. I say vitamin supplements work. I stand by them. I don't stand by their big pharmacy medicine. Fuck that bullshit. Well, we're going to take a quick break, y'all. We're going to be right back. Uh, we're going to get into some sports, starting with the NBA. Like I said, we're going to just go over the Rockets and the Warriors one last time. And also some other NBA news, as well as, I said before, the NHL uh, Stanley Cup final. So, y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right. So, we back. Uh, let's get into the NBA now. Uh, the Warriors and the Rockets, uh, they gained about 15 million viewers last night with a 10.3 rating. Uh, this was one of the most watched, ba- this was the most watched basketball game of the season and also the second most uh, basketball game on cable. The uh, the win by the Warriors, uh, it also peaked in at 18 million. So this was a pretty, uh, pretty well-watched event. Um, it seems to me that people at least are interested to see what goes on, at least the lead up to it. We'll see what, you know, uh, we'll see what happens in the actual finals. But it definitely seems that people were interested into the lead up of it. Uh, like I said, 10.3 rating. Uh, that's pretty good compared to 3.72 for hockey, which is one of their highest ratings. But we'll get into hockey a little bit more. So um, that's pretty much it for that. But uh, in terms of just, you know, the the uh, the final, you know, just how everything pans out, uh, panned out just in terms of the Rockets. Um, again, they, they had an ugly game. Uh, 27 straight misses from three. I talked about it last night. You know, they got really one-dimensional. And, uh, you know, I think not having James Harden led to that. And when you don't have a, a person who can who can, uh, who, who can can run the offense through them and who can uh, just, just lead the team properly in terms of just – he could have slowed the game down. I noticed uh, in the last game that they won, they were able to slow the game, uh, the game down a lot. Chris Paul held with that and just setting up plays. And, you know, I think they looking – in terms of next year, um, I think they still keep the same pieces. There is some some trade talk or possible free agent talk going on with Clint Capella. Uh, he is due for a pretty sizable contract. 
Uh, there is no guarantee that the Rockets do keep him, but I think they do just for the sake of uh, they pretty much have the tools. They, they, I mean, they pretty much have the tools to compete next year. Uh, they were a win away possibly from going to the finals. I think Chris Paul, you know, we don't know if he would have been the the nail in the coffin in terms of, you know, pushing them over, getting them over the hump, but he definitely would have made that game a little bit more interesting. It could have gone either way more so. It could have it had that potential. So I, I don't know if they blow everything up. Um, people are getting older, though. Uh, CP3 is getting older. He's getting up there in age, so it's hardened. Uh, I'm not too sure if they want to bring any more youth in. I mean, they and they might want to because you know you got Ariza getting up there in age. PJ Tucker as well. He's no spring chicken. So, um, and that's just the thing about you know going to these finals year after year and just being in the playoffs. Uh, excuse me for the Rockets just year after year. You know that's age. That's wearing down the body. Uh, who knows uh, what. Ariza is going to be like next year. What about Jeff Green? We don't know about him. Uh, sorry, yeah, Gerald Green, excuse me. Uh, we don't know about his shape uh, coming in next year. So um, they might want to get look to get a little bit younger, just to get a little bit of youth, to get a little bit of speed, some uh, some stamina. Uh, they might look to do that. I'm not too sure they do anything too explosive. They do have Capella, who's a good young body that they can keep. A good big man that can score under the rim, which is still, which is still good. Which is still it's just a, good, a good trait to have. So, um, like I said, there's no guarantee what they do next season, but I, I, I think for the most part they stay intact. I think as long as you know the drive is still there for Harden and CP3, they should stick together for uh, at least one or two more years. And uh, another basketball news: some more. Uh, we're going to get into some more of the off-season potential, uh, you know, rumors, trades, you know, get a little bit of the rumor mill. Um, a couple a couple people up for trades this, uh, this coming off season, uh, starting off, we're going to start off with Patrick Beverly. He averaged two, 12 points last year, excuse me, 2.9 assists, almost three, and 1.6 steals. He's coming at the, uh, off it, a knee injury. Uh, and he's due. He's due about five more, uh, five more million dollars for about another year, and uh, he's not necessarily. I don't think he commands a whole lot of interest uh, necessarily, but he's definitely somebody that the Cavaliers are looking. I mean, sorry, not the Cavaliers, the Clippers. Excuse me, the Clippers are looking to move in order to. I think would kind of kind of rebuild. Um, there isn't too. There isn't. A, a large consensus of people that are saying that they're going to necessarily rebuild because they're not necessarily too sure about what they're going to do with Doc Rivers. I'm not too sure they're going to resign him yet. Uh, but definitely, if Patrick Beverly doesn't get traded, he's definitely liable to walk. So one of those two. But he's definitely, I would say, out of L.A. coming into the next season. Now, we got DeRozan. 28-year-old shooting guard, we already know about him. 23 points last year, five assists, or this season, I should say, 45% field goal percentage, 31% for three, uh, which which are pretty average. 30, the 31% for three is kind of below average. 45% is pretty average. Uh, he's looking to make three, uh, two, uh, sorry, 82.8, so almost 83 million in the next three years. He also has a player option uh, coming in 20, uh, 2020 and 2021. Uh, that's coming in that season. And there was also, uh, well, we know about DeMar DeRozan uh, recently has been uh, basically confirmed that they were trying to, they were, 
at least uh, the front office in Toronto was at least considering trading him. So there's, I think the possibility of that happening again is definitely out there. Uh, I don't know packages per se. I don't, I can't tell you all that per se, but I wouldn't, I don't see why not. Um, if not him, then Lowry. Uh, he also has a teammate, a small forward, also up on the possible trading block at some point too. Uh, but for for the most part, I would I wouldn't see uh, why it wouldn't hurt them at this point because they obviously can see uh, how good they're going to be with the best of the best that they have at least for their roster. They they got a chance to see how far they can go with. Lowry and DeRozan, so it might be time to step away from them. And uh, another guy we got on the on the trade block is going to be Otto Porter, the 24-year-old small forward, averaged 14.7 points last year, two assists. He had about a 50% field goal percentage as well as uh, he was, I believe, 41% from three. These are all really good numbers. So he's a he's a also he's a spot up three shooter. That's where a lot of that's where his high percentage came from. So he just being able to catch the ball and shoot. So that's really good. Um, I think. Washington is in a situation where they're going to dip into the luxury tax pretty soon. And he also has a, a player option. So it's looking like he might be the number one candidate to be traded. However, there is some speculation referring to Bradley Bill. Now, I don't know how probable that is. I wouldn't want to because I feel like Bradley Bill could still work with John Wall. He's pretty much his counterpart. And I think they could still work around it. Like I said, um, in terms of in terms of uh, Otto Porter's contract, he's worth about eighty eighty eight million over three years. So a little, you know, so significantly more than somebody like DeRozan, who you know went to the playoffs, at least the second round. Otto Porter, he got beat by the Raptors, and he's getting eighty eight million for about the same amount of years, though. But uh, so. There is somewhat of a market available for Otto Porter. There's definitely, you know, a need for somebody who can catch and shoot. I wouldn't see a Western Conference team might, you know, I I don't see why a Western Conference team wouldn't be interested. Uh, so it, it looks like it'd be a fit. I mean, I in terms of of in terms of Washington wanting to move him, it it it's it's easy. It's not. I wouldn't say necessarily easy, but. In terms of because of what their roster might, you know, what might happen to their roster, what they can get in return. But I think it might be a necessary move just to kind of loosen some contract money up and be able to, you know, definitely sign somebody who can actually sign somebody who can actually do a little bit more than Otto Porter, possibly. Um, also, some other off-season news. There's also possibilities. About, there's also been talk about Kawhi. Again, I'll be one of the main people to say I don't really buy it. Uh, a lot of people are saying it's a possibility just because of just the knee, uh, the, the the calf injury. I'm sorry, the quad injury. Just uh, San Antonio's culture in general. Uh, however, I don't find that to be true. Uh, I see Dwight. I'm sorry, not Dwight. Oh my God, my names are off today. Kawhi. Uh, doing a lot to state his case on why he wants to stay in San Antonio. Of course, that's all talk. You know, he has a long. We have a long summer ahead of us. He could very well change his mind. However, I still think he stays. This is the probably the best fit for him at this point in his career, in terms of being able to win, to be able to go to playoffs. Uh, Given, given a if they add another solid draft pick or another free agent, which they could attract, 
uh, they really real can attract, they might be able to compete next year. Uh, definitely be in a driver's spot in terms of, you know, winning their division in terms of the Southwest. Well, at least competing with Houston, um, who I think, will, unless, because I, I think Houston is going to get a little bit older, so they might even take a step back. But Houston getting a little bit older. So uh, I think Kawhi stays. Uh, I'm not too sure exactly where his what he can where I mean I'm pretty sure any team would take him of course but what package can you put together to really to really get him uh and what would and, and that wouldn't you know off set your team off balance so when you get Kawhi he's not just stuck just by himself so I, I don't really follow the Kyrie thing I I think that he stays um again like I said I don't think there's any real package in my opinion that could that could really warrant his value um there is the concern you know with the injury there there isn't a hundred percent certainty on what it's all about and how far it goes or how bad it could or could not be so there is that risk of signing into a super match contract which is being thrown out there so definitely there's a but if there is a super even if there's a hint of a super match super match contract being thrown out there i definitely don't see Kawhi leaving because that's five years over 100 million something like that so he's not going He's not going if that's on the table. Now, wrap everything up with sports. Man, oh, man. Now, I've never considered myself a hockey fan, but last night's game for the Stanley Cup. Man, Stanley Cup game, uh, game one. The Vegas Knights uh, pretty much come out on top, or they do come out on top against the Washington Capitals 6-4. This was one of the most contested games in NHL history. 135 shots were attempted in the course of the game, and there and and in total there was 10 goals scored, and this was the highest amount in about eight years. Um, with that being said, though the goalkeepers, uh, Mark Andre Fleury, he had 28 saves, and also Brandon Hotley also had 24 saves. So they still played rel- played relatively well despite the offensive output from both teams. Uh, they pretty much mash each other back and forth uh however go uh vegas was able to pull away in about the third or third period so they they went on top by two but it was a great game by by both teams um in terms of the capitals you got nicholas backstrom who had a goal and assist ovechkin helped out with a goal and assist and then uh tj oshi also had two assists two good assists at that one of them uh led to a goal uh by Carlson, and it was just really, I man, I'm learning. I, look, I don't know nothing about hockey, but I'm going to learn if it's going to be exciting like this. As, as far as the Golden Knights are concerned, Thomas Thomas uh, Gnosis, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, but he had two goals. Uh, Riley Smith also had an assist and a goal, bringing his total to two points altogether. And then Ryan Reeves, despite having uh, a late hit, uh, being part of a late hit, uh, he led to a game tying goal, uh, crucial in the third third period. So, good game. I thought it was exciting. Again, I don't watch a whole lot of hockey, but that definitely made me want to be a fan. So, uh, I look forward to checking these guys out again and learning like all the names, learning all the little stats about hockey and just a little bit about about the sport in general. I'll be uh, in just an attempt to kind of diversify everything and, and just keep everything, make sure we're talking about everything and make sure all the sports are, are accounted for. And, and like I said, this one, this this game uh, really had me going. 
I I didn't think uh like I said I've never really watched hockey per se uh outside of the uh, outside of uh the Sharks every now and again so this was a good game to see like it's definitely for somebody who's never really been a fan of hockey or never really watched hockey uh it's it's a game you can go back on and, and kind of get excited about um Las Vegas the Las Vegas crowd seems to be very hype um despite never having anything to do with hockey so that's pretty cool and it's looking like you know. And this is one of the highest rated games in NHL history. So it's looking like, you know, the mainstream, leading, leading the NHL to the mainstream is going through the West Coast. I mean, uh, you've had the Kings become solid in the last few years. You always had the Sharks uh, pretty prominent in Northern California uh, and, been, and being big on the national scene. Also the Anaheim Ducks. Now, and now you have the, the Las Vegas Golden Knights who can possibly win a title. So... Uh, it's a good look for hockey. Um, I'm glad they had a good game. I, I like, like I said, I liked it. I enjoyed it, and that about wraps everything up with sports. I'll be back to finish everything off. Uh, I'm gonna, like I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring this movie review to y'all. I've never done this before, uh, but we're, I'm gonna review the movie Scream, one of my personal favorites of my life. Pretty much, I like the movie since it ever came out. So I'm going to talk a little about that, and we're going to wrap the show up. So uh, keep tuned. I'll be right back. All right, now. So we're going to wrap everything up tonight. I'm going to talk about one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's a movie I've been, you know, I've been a fan of it for a long time. I just happened to watch it again uh, a while back, and I got a chance to kind of look at it again, you know, through older eyes, you know, I guess through a, a, a different perspective. Um, and the movie I'm talking about is, is Scream. Now, we all know about it. It came out in 96, all that, you know, Nev Campbell's in it, so on and so forth. And, you know, I thought it, you know, was one of the dopest movies to come out, you know, especially in that time period. Um, I thought it was really cool because, it was, well, first and foremost, it was one of the first horror movies that I ever got into. And it got me into other, you know, different types of horror movies as well. Um, I knew that, you know, other, I knew like, you know, Nightmare on the Street existed, you know. Um, Friday the 13th that existed, but it wasn't something that I ever, you know, devoted my time to watching to because a lot of the time, you know, you wouldn't catch those movies necessarily all the time on TV. However, you know, here comes the late 90s. You got HBO, and the first movie you got to watch was fucking Scream. So, you know, that was the shit. So that was one of the first movies I, at least horror movies I got into, and um, it was really interesting because... Um, when I finally got into the movie, uh, this was at the height, well, this is at the same time that the Columbine murders had happened in, uh, Colorado. And, um, it was something that definitely caught my eye even back then, you know, because I was a school, I was, you know, a little kid, I was attending a school and I, it could have happened at my school. It could have, you know, somebody could have gone crazy and shot up my school. So it was, it was something that necessarily I didn't necessarily spook me out but definitely was on you know the back of my mind and uh, I was really into the the detail of the case trying to figure out why did the kids do this you know what led to that you know you know the ins and outs of the the ordeal 
you know, what time they showed up, you know, what, you know, the, you know, what weapons they use, you know, wh- why, you know, exactly their process, their whole method, just to kind of get an understanding of it. And, um, you know, there was a couple, maybe a, at least a, at least another one that happened in that time too. So it definitely was something that it was yet. Yeah, I was definitely a, a younger kid at the time, at least, uh, between the ages of eight, about eight and nine, actually, uh, seven and eight. Seven, eight, eight, eight and nine. Yeah, about eight, nine. Yeah, uh, about that time, seven, eight, nine. And, um, you know, although, I, you know, I'm pretty young, I still was, you know, cognizant of it. You know, I was able, I was looking at the news, you know, articles and seeing them either on the computer or seeing them on TV and asking somebody, you know, whether it be my grandfather, somebody like that, you know, what's going on? What's the deal? Why would he do that? Did they, did they explain why? And, you know, it was something that was pertinent at the time. And I think the main reason why I was in the screen, especially at that time period, was because it, in my opinion, it was like a another reflection of that. It was another way of seeing that, you know, you got to see, you know, teenage angst, you know, you got to see, you know, where lack of communication and lack of being in, you know, simulation within a, a child or a young person's life could lead to destructive tendencies. And, you know, I, I definitely thought, you know, there was, at, and of course, you know, I, I ran across movies that might have been a little bit scarier, might have been a little bit more better in terms of this plot and everything like that. But just, just for the sake of, in my opinion, it, it mirrored, you know, just in, in, in terms of having the killer be of high school age, just mirrored kind of the similarities of what, you know, the realities were at the time. Like, it was so real that, you know, one of the locations, which was going to be a high school, I, I want to say it was going to be in Santa Rosa, California, uh, that it was so real that one of the high schools were not really interested in having the the, the, the film there because of, you know, the real life events, you know, so this was a real, uh, a real event. These were real events, not necessarily described in the movie, but the, what it was based off of, these were real things that were happening. And, um, the meta plots, you know, throughout the movie with, you know, the news coverage and Gail, uh, Patricia Arquette's character, that was, that was, that was reminiscent of the time. There was, that was, that was the thing, you know, it was, constant media coverage it was a sensational you know not necessarily to, to to make to make light of the situations but it was a sensational thing to have uh rampant news coverage you know day by day clocking in you know clocking out that's what it was uh in the late 90s with some of these incidents and to see that played out um in a in a movie it kind of gives you you know, at least for me, a bit, a somewhat of a better understanding because I kind of got to see it. I kind of got to see um, the character arc of, of Billy and how he reveals himself and what led him to go about that. And then you uh, hear about his partner and, you know, they go into their, their reasoning and what prompted him to do that. So you hear the processes of this and there's 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 plenty of reasons why those kids were going off and they're going off today you know for the same reasons you know so it's a, it, in a way it's a reflection of americana and it and it, and it, and it in my opinion it grasps the you know pretty much the 
pretty much what the 90s were all about in the sense of, like I said, the te- the setting, the tone, you know, everybody, you know, every character was a reflection of what the 90s were at the time. You had the cynical people, you had the cool guys, and it wasn't necessarily, you know, in my opinion, you know, just stereotypes, but more, like I said, more of a reflection of what the times were. And I think this was one of the best movies at the time to, to do that. You know, if you were to, I, I, if you want to know what crime was like or teenage life was like or that type of situation in terms of school shootings, massive, you know, unrest on your school campus, that movie mirrors that. You know, I, in, in some ways, Scream is, is the Hollywood version of Parkland. Um, uh, movies have always, and, and art in general, have always, you know, have been reflected in life and vice versa. And one of the main things that I loved, I digged about this movie, always did, was the main character, Sidney Prescott. Now, that chick is badass. That's one of the, the, in my opinion, one of my favorite protagonists in a horror movie for the simple fact that she's not your typical damsel in distress. You know, there's a lot of female characters in horror movies that'll make it, even the ones that make it. They make it to the end, but they spend the whole time running and screaming and just being, you know, just running and just looking just victimized and helpless. And I mean, I get it. You know, there's some movies that do it really great. And there's, you know, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They get that. They get the element great. You know, awesome. I understand. That's one element to it. But I personally feel that Sydney's resiliency throughout the series is one of the hallmarks to any female character in the horror franchise. She never backs down. She's always in the final she's always in the final battle. She's fighting to the end. She usually ends up being responsible for the death of whoever's coming after her. And the cold part is her protection is the police. Dewey's supposed to supposed to be her protection. And she and she's still handling it. Making Dewey look like useless in every fucking movie. That's what you want. I think that's dope. I always was in love with Nev Campbell for just those qualities alone. Not even because she was bad per se, which she was in her day. But I thought it was a a, a good solid a, a good solid movie. Now, like I said, there's there's always there there there've been movies that come along that might be a little bit better but again it captures the time period it actually delves into real life events and i think that's a credit to wes craven and what he's able to do with the horror john he's always able to put that realness into it because um another movie that i like to compare this to because for certain elements which to me makes it so awesome is the nightmare on elm street which is in my opinion you know, superior in a sense of I think plot is a little bit thicker than than Scream, and I do think the the blood and just the overall just Freddy as a villain is a little bit harder to me than Ghostface. But I still think the elements because I, I think, but I think they're similar in the in the sense of the the killings you know that were being represented you know in Scream. These were being done in real life in Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, you know. There were many instances of people dying in their sleep, whether through sudden death syndrome within the sleep, 
there were certain cases of nightmares leading to heart attacks. So there's there's real evidence to say that people can die and they sleep. So the, those elements make when you when you can add a realness to the horror without making it come off as super as super just a depiction of real life, you know, as, as opposed to, cause I, I think you could easily make a movie about a serial killer and, or, you know, somebody that fits Freddy Krueger's qualities without even having to give him the dream element. The same thing with, you know, scream, you can give somebody all the qualities somewhat of scream in terms of being a killer and all that, even the, and the fact that he has a mask, but he would just be, you know, just a, a murderer, you know, so you could, you could definitely, you can make a movie like that. It'd be a drama or, you know, weird, but you know when you add when you add a sense of a character like a like a freddy Krueger who can come back from the dead and hunt your dreams or you you come back with a ghost face who's untouchable who can be two or three people at once who knows how to manipulate technology the technology at the time period when you add something like that, which people were doing, which people, you know, because another another fact about the movie Scream is, is because of that scene, especially that beginning scene, the sales of freaking caller ID skyrocketed. So, you know, that's real. That's real shit right there. There would be color, Scream is why you have caller ID. OK, that's how big that shit is, you know, so, it, it, it you know, and and. Another thing that I think makes not just this movie, but a Wes Craven movie. And if you're not, if you haven't really taken your time to watch any of his films, I, I say you should. Uh, R.I.P. to him. He's one in terms of horror. He's one of the best to ever do it. And it's ironic because that was never his intention about going into movies in the first place. He'll tell you himself. He did not want to make these type of movies. But if you if his track record, I'm telling you this, his movies will are to at least two or three of his movies are in the top ten of horror movie of horror movie list. Say what you will, I, I'll put them there. I'm not saying Scream is one of those movies, but one thing that I will give Wes Craven and uh, another comparison that I'll make with this movie Scream here and another uh, and with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street were the beginning death scenes. Wes Craven has a way of getting you locked in and knowing exactly to the extent in which you're going to go in that first kill. He is the master of the first kill. And that, to me, is a horror movie. If you don't get your first kill right or your first real scare the movie right, you lost me. Your scare has to fuck me up. I have to be thinking about the first kill throughout the movie for your movie to be effective for me. And Wes Craven has a way of doing that. You know, he he played into your and he did it in both of these movies. And I think this is why they're so amazing to me. And if you don't peep it, you know, you, you'll miss it and you'll miss the greatness of it. You'll just think it's another a slasher or whatever. These type of scenes and this, these type of movies make the horror movie genre a little bit more than just killing somebody or just monsters, you know. He plays on your emotions, you know. He gives you, he gives you the the random phone call, which all, which which always was to happen. This this is an everyday thing. You always get a random call every now and again. He starts off with the most mundane thing ever, 
even a nightmare, same thing, the most mundane thing you ever go through, your typical bad dream. He already sets you up knowing this is the type of world you're going to be dealing with. These are the type of world that your characters are dealing with. Already in the 90s. You already knew. Come on now. Uh, prank phone calls. This was big shit in the 90s. You didn't have caller ID. Remember. This was big shit. He's coming at you with shit. You know this is a this is a daily trope. This is what you would have gone through. So he he leads you with the, he leads you down the story low. He leads you down the story board through the whole plan with the phone. Call her on the phone. Then he gives her. Then he gives her the quiz. I got your boyfriend locked up. All that shit. He's playing with her the whole time. The psychology game is stupendous. Same thing, Freddie. He draw Tina outside. Tina, throw them rocks out the window. Tina, that's all part of the dream, and you in it. And see the cold part about them them REM dreams. You know about the REM dreams. You ain't controlling. You deep in that motherfucker. So anything happy, he, Tina, bring your ass on, Tina. And you come out with the long, uh, Mister Mister Elastic, Mister Fantastic arms. Come on, man. Here come Ghostface coming out the cut in the house, chasing her, chasing, chasing Drew Barrymore around. And that, and 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 the way, oh man, Wes Craven. Is a cinematographer showing up to kill the music and just the whole dramatic. Oh, look! Oh, look at how oh Drew just she just laying it. Oh my, she can't even talk. Got the throat slit, and she just sitting there, and you sitting there. Oh, this motherfucker's for real. Same thing in Nightmare on Elm Street. Rod sitting there, she's screaming, Rod. Rod, she dead sleep though. She just Rod, Rod's in there. What the fuck going? Smacked upside the head, knocked down the lamp, slash. It's a wrap. She up on the wall. That that's that's a movie. That's that's a movie right there. That's horror to me. You know, I don't get me wrong. I'm cool with the Exorcist. That's cool. Bitch, turn the head a thousand different times. That's fine. Motherfucker fell. And that blood hit that mess. It splashed off the bed and hit his face. And then she begging and, and screamed. She drew Barrymore begging for the mama. Ma! And you, you can't hear nothing. She right there. The parents are right there running to the house trying to find her. Because they see smoke coming out the house. She yelling at him. She got a slit throat. Can't say a word. And she looking at him dying on the rack. You can't script it better than that, son. You can't do it. Well, I went in for a little bit. As you can tell, I really fucked with this movie. I'm going to wrap it up tonight, y'all. We'll be back tomorrow. Maybe not the same time, but definitely the same place. Never out of bounds. This is your man, El Jamal. And y'all have a good night. And good night. Love you. Peace out. All right, now. So we're going to wrap everything up tonight. I'm going to uh, talk about one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's a movie I've been, you know, I've been a fan of it for a long time. I just happened to watch it again uh, a while back, and I got a chance to kind of look at it again, you know, through older eyes, you know, I guess through a, a, a different perspective. Um, and the movie I'm talking about is, is Scream. 
Now, we all know about it. It came out in 96, all that. You know, Nev Campbell's in it, so on and so forth. And, you know, I thought it, you know, was one of the dopest movies to come out, you know, especially in that time period. Um, I thought it was really cool because, it was, well, first and foremost, it was one of the first horror movies that I ever got into. And it got me into other, you know, different types of horror movies as well. Um, I knew that, you know, other, I knew like, you know, Nightmare on the Street existed, you know, um, Friday the 13th that it existed, but it wasn't something that I ever, you know, devoted my time to watching to because a lot of the time, you know, you wouldn't catch those movies necessarily all the time on TV. However, you know, here comes the late 90s. You got HBO, and the first movie you got to watch was fucking Scream. So, you know, that was the shit. So that was one of the first movies I, at least horror movies I got into. And um, it was really interesting because um, when I finally got into the movie, uh, this was at the height. Well, this is at the same time that the Columbine murders had happened in uh, Colorado. And um, it was something that definitely caught my eye even back then, you know, because I was a school. I was, you know, a little kid. I was attending a school and I, it, it could have happened at my school. It could have, you know, somebody could have gone crazy and shot up my school. So it was, it was something that necessarily, I didn't necessarily spook me out, but definitely was on, you know, the back of my mind. And uh, I was really into the, the detail of the case, trying to figure out why did, did the kids do this? You know, what led to that? You know, you know, the ins and outs of the, the ordeal. You know, what time they showed up, you know, what, you know, the you know, what weapons they use, you know, wh why, you know, exactly their process, their whole method, just to kind of get an understanding of it. And, um, you know, there was a couple, maybe a, at least a, at least another one that happened in that time, too. So it definitely was something that it was yet. Yeah, I was definitely a, a younger kid at the time, at least uh, between the ages of eight, about eight and nine, actually uh, seven and eight. Seven, eight, day, eight and nine. Yeah, about eight and nine. Yeah, uh, about that time, seven, eight and nine. And, um, you know, although, I, you know, I'm pretty young, I still was, you know, cognizant of it. You know, I was able, I was looking at the news, you know, articles and seeing them either on the computer or seeing them on TV and asking somebody, you know, whether it be my grandfather, somebody like that, you know, what's going on? What's the deal? Why would he do that? Did they, did they explain why? And, you know, it was something that was pertinent at the time. And I think the main reason why I was in the screen, especially at that time period, was because it, in my opinion, it was like a another reflection of that. It was another way of seeing that, you know, you got to see, you know, teenage angst, you know, you got to see, you know, where lack of communication and lack of being in, you know, simulation within a, a child or a young person's life could lead to destructive tendencies. And, you know, I, I definitely thought, you know, there was, at, and of course, you know, I, I ran across movies that might have been a little bit scarier, might have been a little bit more better in terms of this plot and everything like that. But just... Just for the sake of, in my opinion, it it mirrored, you know, just in, in, in terms of having the killer be of high school age, just mirrored kind of the similarities of what, you know, the realities were at the time. Like, it was so real that 
you know, one of the locations, which was going to be a high school, I, I want to say it was going to be in Santa Rosa, California, uh, that it was so real that one of the high schools were not really interested in having the, 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 the film there because of, you know, the real life events, you know? So this was a real, uh, a real event. These were real events, not necessarily described in the movie, but the, what it was based off of, these were real things that were happening. And, um, the meta plots, you know, throughout the movie with, you know, the news coverage and, Gail, uh, Patricia Arquette's character, that was, that was, that was reminiscent of the time. There was, that was, that was the thing, you know, it was constant media coverage. It was a sensational, you know, not necessarily to, to, to make, to make light of the situations, but it was a sensational thing to have, uh, rampant news coverage, you know, day by day clocking in, you know, clocking out. That's what it was, uh, in the late nineties with some of these incidents and, to see that played out um in a in a movie it kind of gives you you know at least for me a bit a, a somewhat of a better understanding because i kind of got to see it i kind of got to see um the character arc of, of billy and how he reveals himself and what led him to go about that and then you uh hear about his partner and you know they go into their their reasoning and what prompted them to do that so you hear the processes of this and there's 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 plenty of reasons why those kids were going off and they're going off today, you know, for the same reasons, you know. So it's a, it, in a way, it's a reflection of Americana. And it, and it, and it, and it in my opinion, it grasps the, you know, pretty much the pretty much what the 90s were all about in the sense of, like I said, the te- the setting, the tone, you know, everybody, you know. Every character was a reflection of what the 90s were at the time. You had the cynical people, you had the cool guys. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, in my opinion, you know, just stereotypes, but more, like I said, more of a reflection of what the times were. And I think this was one of the best movies at the time to, to do that. You know, if you were to, I, if you want to know what crime was like or teenage life was like or that type of situation in terms of school shootings, massive, you know, unrest on your school campus, that movie mirrors that. You know, I, in, in some ways, Scream is, is the Hollywood version of Parkland. Um, mo- uh, movies have always, and, and art in general, have always, you know, have been reflected in life and vice versa. And one of the main things that I look, I digged about this movie, always did, was the main character, Sidney Prescott. Now, that chick is badass. That's one of the, the, in my opinion, one of my favorite protagonists in a horror movie for the simple fact that she's not your typical damsel in distress. You know, there's a lot of female characters in horror movies that'll make it, even the ones that make it. They make it to the end, but they spend the whole time running and screaming and just being, you know, just running and just looking just victimized and helpless. And I mean, I get it. You know, there's some movies that do it really great. And there's, you know, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They get that. They get the element. Great. You know, awesome. I understand. That's one element to it. But I personally feel that. Sydney's resiliency throughout the series is one of the hallmarks to any female character 
in the horror franchise. She never backs down. She's always in the final. She's always in the final battle. She's fighting to the end. She usually ends up being responsible for the death of whoever's coming after her. And the cold part is her protection is the police. Dewey's supposed to be, supposed to be her protection, and she and she's still handling it, making Dewey look like useless in every fucking movie. That's what you want. I think that's dope. I always was in love with Nev Campbell for just those qualities alone. Not even because she was bad per se, which she was in her day. But I thought it was a a, a good solid a, a good solid movie. Now, like I said, there's there's always there there there've been movies that come along that might be a little bit better. But again, it captures the time period. It actually delves into real life events, and I think that's a credit to Wes Craven and what he's able to do with the horror genre. He's always able to put that realness into it because um, another movie that I like to compare this to because for certain elements, which to me makes it so awesome is The Nightmare on Elm Street, which is, in my opinion, you know, superior in a sense of I think plot is a little bit thicker than than Scream, and I do think the the blood and just the overall just Freddy as a villain is a little bit harder to me than Ghostface. But I still think the elements because I, I think, but I think they're similar in the in the sense of the the killings you know that were being represented you know in Scream. These were being done in real life in Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, you know. There were many instances of people dying in their sleep, whether through sudden death syndrome within the sleep. Uh, there were certain cases of nightmares leading to heart attacks. So there's there's real evidence to say that people can die in they sleep. So the, those elements make when you when you can add a realness to the horror without making it come off as super as super just a depiction of real life, you know, as, as opposed to, cause I, I think you could easily make a movie about a serial killer and, or, you know, somebody that fits Freddy Krueger's qualities without even having to give him the dream element. The same thing with, you know, scream, you can give somebody all the qualities somewhat of scream in terms of being a killer and all that, even the, and the fact that the, he has a mask, but he would just be, you know, just a, a murderer, you know, so you could, you could definitely, you can make a movie like that. It'd be a drama or, you know, weird, but you know when you add when you add a sense of a character like a like a Freddy Krueger who can come back from the dead and haunt your dreams, or you you come back with a ghost face who's untouchable, who can be two or three people at once, who knows how to manipulate technology, the technology at the time period. When you add something like that, which people were doing, which people you know, because another another fact about the movie Scream is. Is because of that scene, especially that beginning scene, the sales of freaking caller ID skyrocketed. So you know that's real. That's real shit right there. There would be color, scream is why you have caller ID. Okay, that's how big that shit is. You know, so it, it you know, and and another thing that I think makes. Not just this movie, but a Wes Craven movie. And if you're not, if you haven't really taken your time to watch any of his films, I I say you should. Uh, R.I.P. to him. He's one in terms of horror. He's one of the best to ever do it. And it's ironic because that was never his intention about going into movies in the first place. He'll tell you himself. 
He did not want to make these type of movies. But if you, if his track record, I'm telling you this, his movies will are to at least two or three of his movies are in the top ten of horror movie of horror movie lists. Say what you will, I, I'll put them there. I'm not saying Scream is one of those movies, but one thing that I will give Wes Craven and uh, another comparison that I'll make with this movie Scream here and another uh, and with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street were the beginning death scenes. Wes Craven has a way of getting you locked in and knowing exactly to the extent in which you're going to go in that first kill. He is the master of the first kill. And that, to me, is a horror movie. If you don't get your first kill right or your first real scare in the movie right, you lost me. Your scare has to fuck me up. I have to be thinking about the first kill throughout the movie for your movie to be effective for me. And Wes Craven has a way of doing that. You know, he he played into your and he did it in both of these movies. And I think this is why they're so amazing to me. And if you don't peep it, you know, you, you'll miss it and you'll miss the greatness of it. You'll just think it's another a slasher or whatever. These type of scenes and this, these type of movies make the horror movie genre a little bit more than just killing somebody or just monsters, you know. He plays on your emotions, you know. He gives you, he gives you the the random phone call, which all, which which always was to happen. This this is an everyday thing. You always get a random call every now and again. He starts off with the most mundane thing ever. Even in Nightmare Chain thing, the most mundane mundane thing you ever go through, your typical bad dream. He already sets you up knowing this is the type of world you're going to be dealing with. These are the type of world that your characters are dealing with. Already in the 90s. You already knew. Come on now. Uh, prank phone calls. This was big shit in the 90s. You didn't have caller ID. Remember. This was big shit. He's coming at you with shit. You know this is a this is a daily trope. This is what you would have gone through. So he he leads you with the, he leads you down the story low he leads you down the story board through the whole plan with the phone, calling her on the phone. Then he gives her then he gives her the quiz. I got your boyfriend locked up. All that shit. He's playing with her the whole time. The psychology game is stupendous. Same thing, Freddie. He draw Tina outside. Tina, throw the rocks out the window. Tina. That's all part of the dream. And you in it. And see, the cold part about them them REM dreams, you know about the REM dreams. You ain't controlling. You deep in that motherfucker. So anything happy, he, Tina, bring your ass on. Tina. And you come out with the long uh, Mr. Mr. Elastic, Mr. Fantastic arms. Come on, man. Here come Ghostface coming out the cut in the house. Chasing her, chasing, chasing Drew Barrymore around, and that, and 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 in the way, oh man, Wes Craven is a cinematographer. Showing up, the kill, the music, and just the whole dramatic. Oh, look, oh, look at how, oh, Drew just, she just laying it. Oh, ma, she can't even talk. Got the throat slit. And she just sitting there, and you sitting there, oh, this motherfucker's for real. Same thing in Nightmare on Elm Street. 
Rod's in there. She's screaming, Rod, Rod. She dead sleep though. She just, Rod, Rod's in there. What the fuck going? Smacked upside the head, knocked down the lamp, slash. It's a wrap. She up on the wall. That that's that's a movie. That's that's a movie right there. That's horror to me. You know, I don't get me wrong, I'm cool with the exorcist. That's cool, bitch turn the head a thousand different times. That's fine. Motherfucker fell. And that blood hit that mess. It splashed off the bed and hit his face. And then she begging and, and screamed. She, Drew Barrymore begging for the mama. And you you can't hear nothing. She right there. The parents are right there running to the house trying to find her because they see smoke coming out the house. She yelling at him. She got a slit throat. Can't say a word. And she looking at him dying on the rack. You can't script it better than that, son. You can't do it. Well, I went in for a little bit. As you can tell, I really fucked with this movie. I'm going to wrap it up tonight, y'all. We'll be back tomorrow. Maybe not the same time, but definitely the same place, never out of bounds. This is your man, El Jamal, and y'all have a good night, and good night. Love you. Peace out.